Hi everyone, welcome to this name drop edition of the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. Name drops are all about the fascinating people who make San Diego so amazing. My guest today is Todd Kent, the co-founder and CEO of Boochcraft Hard Kombucha, which was established right here in Ocean Beach, San Diego. Todd is a serial entrepreneur who cares deeply about healthy living, including eating mostly organic food and exercising often. He's a big reader, thinker, and is clearly passionate about business and problem solving. In this interview, we talk about how hard kombucha is made, about his eco-friendly life philosophy, his best business advice, and more. Thanks for listening. Uh, well, Todd, thanks so much for joining me. It's really cool to be talking to you. How, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Feeling really good. Just uh, just enjoying the day. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So you're the co-founder and CEO of Boochcraft, which was started by you and a couple of friends in Ocean Beach in 2016. What was the origin story? How did you get into hard kombucha? Yeah, so uh, me and my uh, friend at the time, co-founder now, Adam Heiner, uh, we're at his house uh, at, a, at a party, and <clears throat> strangely enough, we were having a conversation about um, monetizing some land that I have in, in La Mesa. I've got about two acres in La Mesa, and at the time, Adam owned uh, Local Habit, which was a small restaurant in uh, Hillcrest, and we were talking about ideas for, you know, growing food and servicing, you know, kind of a small niche um, restaurant market, and uh <clears throat> One thing led to another, and we got started talking about uh, kombucha brewery. And this was at the time when, uh, you know, back in 2000, late 2014, early 2015, all of the kombuchas had been taken off the shelf for not being registered as an alcoholic beverage, but having alcohol percent above half percent. And so, you know, we kind of saw a niche when everyone was reformulating and trying to get their uh, their NA kombucha down below half a percent for us to go and start this like fully fermented uh, kombucha brewery, which then, uh, you know, some months later kind of segued into hard kombucha. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Like when did hard kombuchas become a thing? Did it start here? Did you start it? Yeah. I mean, I think back in 2015, we were one of one on the West coast and one of two in the U S that, um, were making hard kombucha. There was a company out of Michigan called unity vibrations. Um, and you know, they were like small local, uh, Michigan companies. So, you know, back in 2015, 2016, when we were getting started, we were uh, certainly one of one <clears throat> on the West Coast. And then, you know, fast forward to today, I think you've probably got 25 or 30 hard kombucha brands, uh, you know, between uh, California, Oregon and Washington. Mm. Were you a kombucha fan before they became hard? <laughs> yeah, totally. I've been drinking kombucha for many, many years, as long as I can remember. Yeah, so part of your story is just wanting to make something that was organic, real, helpful. I mean, is that something you live by in general? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I mean, I've been an entrepreneur ever since I was a small kid. And, you know, kind of the draw to the conversation that I was having with Adam was around, um, you know, starting a business that, uh, to your point, was organic, that, you know, that we had a different ethos for, you know, how we treated our employees um, and how we looked at supply chain, things of that nature. And so um, getting into, you know, kombucha uh, and then into hard kombucha as a segue, you know, it, it just felt like a really natural um, extension of my life. Um, so, yeah. 
Yeah, I read that you started your first business at 16. What was it? And what have, like what other businesses have you started between then and now? Yeah. So when I was 16, I was a restless child. And so in the summers, I would um, go around and mow grass and mend fences. I grew up in Tennessee. Uh, and um, so I would, I would just, you know, spend all of my summer out of the house trying to earn money. Um, you know, fast forward to uh, 2001, uh, I was living in Northern California and moved down to San Diego to start a retail hydroponics store. So, uh, you know, fertilizer, lighting, um everything you need to grow plants inside. And so I uh, moved down to San Diego 2001 to do that, kind of grew that business to five locations in San Diego, 55 employees. Uh, we started a fertilizer manufacturing company. We started a wholesale company in the United States. Um, <clears throat> and then we sold all of those businesses uh, back in 2020. So I've, like I said, entrepreneurial spirit ever since I was uh, very young. Wow, that's really cool. How did you choose or why did you choose to move the company to San Diego? Um, to, we started the company here. Oh, your your old one? Sorry. I yeah, yeah. So gotcha. I moved, I actually, so I was living in Lake Tahoe and um, kind of just got sick of, uh, like I was doing the ski bum thing. I mean, I was pretty young at the time. I was in my early twenties, kind of doing the ski bum thing and like literally took out a map of California, opened the map, closed my eyes and kind of like did this number <laughs> on San Diego. I was like, all right, I'm going to move to San Diego because I needed to get out of Tahoe. Uh, and I had a good friend in South Lake Tahoe that owned a, uh, as a store called the farm. And I just went to tell him goodbye. And, uh, he said, Hey, have you ever thought about doing something like this? Um, you know, and kind of the wheels got turning. And so when I moved to San Diego, like I said, I started that first retail store in San Diego at uh, Garnett and Ingram, uh, 500 square feet, you know, slept in the store for the first couple of months that I lived in San Diego. So kind of that true like entrepreneur, um, you know, bootstrap kind of build it from the ground up. Yeah, what an amazing success story. Um, and it's cool that you've, you know, had an ethos about earth friendliness and just being eco-friendly through, you know, as a, a theme throughout all your businesses. Um, one of your company values is give a shit, which makes me laugh. Uh, can you tell me more ab about that and more just about your commitment to being good people? Yeah, um, it's funny that the give a shit value, um, <clears throat> when we were going through and revamping our core values, that was the one that I initially had the hardest time with because, uh, you know, our core values are supposed to be like a forward facing thing, something that's like external, um, well, internal and external. And, uh, you know, I was, I was struggling with like, are we going to have, you know, a curse word in this like external value of ours? And uh, over time, what I've learned is that uh, that's actually our most important value. And it really helps us kind of, you know, gut check. Like we really, filter all of the decisions that we make at the company through our core values, you know, our goals, um, kind of our key initiatives all ladder up to our core values. And so we really use those as a, uh, as a heading um, for the company. So Boochcraft is a certified B Corp. What exactly does that mean? And why is it important to you? Yeah, so uh, B Corp is a certification that kind of balances people, planet, purpose, and profit. Um, and they, uh, that's a very rigorous certification, you know what I mean? So as, you know, uh, ever since the beginning of Boochcraft, we've been USDA certified organic. We've been, <clears throat> you know, paying fair trade premiums to, uh, you know, make sure that the third world countries, like for instance, sugar coming from India or, you know, some South American countries, we wanted to make sure that, you know, um, the laborers were paid fairly, treated well, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But these were all certifications that you could buy, right? Like, I mean, it's 
an extra five or 10 cents a pound for sugar. It's, you know, an extra 10 or 15 cents a pound for organic oranges versus non-organic oranges. And so um, those were certifications that you could buy. For us, the B Corp certification was, um, it wasn't for sale. It wasn't something that you could just buy and stick on the label. It's like really a rigorous certification and something that you have to uh, to live. Interesting. Well, being in business for as long as you have, you know, what are some of the lessons you have learned and, you know, advice you would give to other aspiring entrepreneurs? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, if you want to be successful with a startup, don't underestimate the amount of uh, determination and just like sheer grit that it takes to uh, to push the thing through because you're basically taking something from the ethereal world and grounding it and bringing it into uh, the real world. And that is, it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. Well, you mentioned sleeping in the office for a couple of months. What have been some of the biggest challenges for you? Yeah. And that was actually a really fun time because there was nothing to lose, you know, like that was like the very early, early days. And so kind of just like throw it all in, throw it all in. And it was really exciting. Um, some of the biggest challenges, um, you know, the last few years of the pandemic have been really challenging. I mean, we had to reinvent ourselves as a company from the standpoint of a marketing uh, mark from the standpoint of marketing. Um, so, you know, pre-pandemic, we were 70, 80% of our marketing budget was experiential marketing because, you know, we really believe in the product that we make. You know, I'd often say that we're a, an operations first company uh, that's learning how to market this really great product that we have, not a marketing company that sells a product. Um, and so when they, you know, the pandemic hit and, you know, all of those opportunities to do this in-store sampling, craft beer festivals, uh, you know, event sponsorships, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that all dried up. Uh, so we had to reinvent ourselves and kind of learn how to be a digital marketing first company. Uh, and then, you know, now that uh, that type of life is coming back online, um, really having to ask ourselves some questions about how we balance kind of, you know, what we've learned over the course of the last few years with what we know to be really successful. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. What happened to your sales during the pandemic? Like, I know personally, I bought a lot of Boochcraft when we were in lockdown, but what, you know, how did that go? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, we saw a boon, uh, like a lot of other companies in um, the grocery stores, so in the off-premise channels. Um, but all, you know, overnight, 100% of our on-premise, so bars and restaurants, that all dried up. So the boon that we received from the off-premise didn't really um, outweigh the uh, the dried up sales from the uh, the on premise, and then you know, kind of couple that with you know all of the companies were having um, this kind of boon in the off premise. So there was a run on cans. There was you know availability issues, supply chain issues. So you know, twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two were really difficult years from that perspective. But, you know, I've been saying for the last few years that the headwinds that we've faced have really actually made us much stronger as a company and stronger as a team. Um, because, you know, we've had to be agile. Uh, it, it, we, you know, we, we've grown a lot as a team and as an organization due to it. Yeah. Are you still feeling um, effects of the pandemic with supply chain or hiring or anything? You know, I think the supply chain issues are starting to uh, work themselves out. Hiring has still been uh, a bit of a challenge. Um, and, you know, I would just say the macroeconomic conditions that we're seeing in the world with, you know, rising interest rates and um, kind of some geopolitical stuff. I think that it's just, 
it's an uncertain time for people. And so um, I think that we're, you know, feeling the effects of that for certain. Gotcha. Okay. I have a quick lightning round for you. It's just some off the wall questions to get to know you better. And my first one is what is your perfect San Diego day? Perfect San Diego day. Uh, I would say going for a hike in East County somewhere in the mountains. Palomar off sunrise. You anticipated my next question, which was what is the best hike in San Diego? Um, well, I know that you're also into cycling, um, rock climbing. Is that right? Um, so I don't know. What else do you like to do outdoors in San Diego and where do you like to go? I mean, that's the beauty of San Diego, right? Is that you can spend time outdoors all day, every day. Um, so, you know, I'm not a sun worshiper, so I don't really spend a whole lot of time at the beach. Um, but, you know, I, I love hiking. I love backpacking. I'd say that backpacking is probably one of my most favorite things to do outside. Uh, and then I also love, you know, as you mentioned, kind of cycling and just kind of being outside in general. That's cool. Um, where have you been backpacking? Oh, lots of places. So I generally try and do one long trip in the fall, uh, somewhere between seven and 10 days. Last September, we did um, the Wonderland Trail. So it circumnavigates Mount Rainier, which is just uh, kind of southeast of Seattle. Um, it's about 100 miles and about 46,000 foot of elevation change. So about 23 up, 23 down over that 10 miles or uh, 10 days. What? That's insane. That's really a long distance. And that's really a lot of elevation. I think I've done like a 5000 elevation change. And I thought that was pretty good. Like how? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, there are long days, you know, there's a group of guys that I was with and we do it. We try to do it every year. We've been in Colorado, been in Montana, um, also in Northern California. Um, it just it's just a great way to like kind of get out of your head to get into your body, you know, and just like you spend the whole day, you wake up and the only thing you have to do is worry about feeding yourself, walking to the next destination and where you're going to sleep. It's a real simple day. And um, yeah, those are really rewarding trips. Wow. That's really cool. Like, what do you, what do you get from that? I mean, aside, you know, the time away is nice, but do you come back? Like, do you have epiphanies? Do you come back with like a new perspective on life? Yeah. Um, you know, I often say that you can't schedule creativity. Right. And so um, I, I do think that freeing your mind up from the day to day, uh, the rat race of it all uh, gives you a, a broader perspective and a, a different type of appreciation. Um, so oftentimes that's what I'll say that I get from is, is is a different type of appreciation for the life that I get. So, you know, for me, gratitude is really important. Um, I think it counterbalances like all of the negativity in the world. And so um, just, you know, being on top of a mountain, looking out over the expanse, seeing um just the beauty of life, you know, in a real simple way. It just, it, it helps to um, shift my perspective when I get home. And that, that takes months for that to, to fade away. Mm, that's really awesome. Um, okay. What is your favorite book or one of them and why? Mm, a really great book that I've read recently is called Atomic Habits. Um, and it, I would say that it's one of the favorites because it was uh it was really applicable, right? Like you could take the lessons from the book and apply them to life in a really meaningful way. Um, and it was simple and easy to understand. Awesome. Uh, what was the first concert you ever went to? And also the first CD or tape or record you ever bought? <laughs> first CD was Beastie Boys. Nice. Um, I don't remember the name of the album, but I could look it up real quick. It's the one with the airplane wrecked, uh, like kind of standing up and down. Yeah. Um, first concert 
very, very first concert was Bon Jovi. First concert that I went to on my own uh, was Pearl Jam. Nice. Okay. So you're, you're a rock guy. Are you still, you still listen to similar music? What's the last concert you've been to? Uh, the last concert we went and saw um and you got me here hang on one second you gotta uh, go to another concert Rattler, that wasn't the, that wasn't the most recent one it was uh susan tedeschi tedeschi trucks band it was amazing oh i've never heard of them who like what kind of music is that uh it's like jam band kind of rock kind of like southern rock Awesome. I'll check it out. Yeah, um, and Nathaniel Rayliff. If you don't know Nathaniel Rayliff in the Night Sweats, I would highly recommend it. Okay, cool. I love this. I love the reading list and the, the music list you just gave me. I uh, love learning new things. Okay, what is what is your first memory? Mm, that's a good one. Uh, it's my sister coming home from the hospital. And I don't know if it's a memory that I actually have or just the remembering of the story told over and over and over. <laughs> But the foyer of my mom's house uh, back in Memphis, there was this wallpaper that was like uh, like a tiki kind of like it had texture to it and like you could peel it off, but it wasn't meant to be peeled off. It had like a it kind of like a little tiki hut, you know, but it was the wallpaper and uh I, and, and then had like bricks in the uh in the foyer entrance. And I remember them bringing her uh, in in from the hospital. I think I was probably like four years old. Wow, that's awesome. And that's funny. I totally understand. You're like, did do I remember that? Or yeah, I just heard the story a bunch of times. You know, it's um, funny that you asked that question, and I'm going to take you on a small tangent. I have a one-year-old at home right now. And um, what I'm experiencing having such a young child is remembrance of things that happened to me when I was a really young child. It's like bringing back memories from like the way far back. Oh, that's really cool. Like, what are some recent ones? Um, you know, like he'll walk into the restroom while I'm going to the bathroom or something like that. And I kind of remember like having the opposite of that, like kind of wandering into the bathroom while my dad was in there doing something or they're, they're faint memories, you know, but it's just, it, it's like this, like, oh, wait, 180 degrees. Like this is happening. And this is just a really like surreal experience. Oh, that's really special. Um, so, okay. So it sounds like you're a new parent. You said you have a one-year-old. How, how has that been? It's been kind of wild trying to, uh, you know, run a company and, you know, raise a baby. Uh, it's, it's been it's been quite the humbling experience. Uh, and this is the second round for me. I have uh, a 24 year old and a 19 year old daughter. Um, and so this is round two uh, with my son. His name is Maxim. Oh, um, do, do you have like an ethos that you bring to parenting as well? Hmm. You know, there's a book that I just read called Hold On to Your Kids by uh, Gap, Gavin Neufeld and Gabor Mate. Uh, I think that my my ethos for raising parent uh, raising kids around two is going to be developed from that book. Uh, anytime I read a book that I really like, I, I go back and study it, right? I read it like 10 or 15 times. I'll pick out like chapters and just read them over and over again. Um, so I, I feel like there's a lot more left for me to learn from that book, but, you know, I, I would just say for any parents out there, really at the end of the day, just love your kids, you know, keep them close, hold on to them, love them. Um, that'll get you probably 80% of the way there. Mm, that's really cool. It sounds like you're a big reader. Is that right? 
Uh, yeah, but most of the reading that I do uh, happens via Audible. So um, I do a lot of uh, low intensity cardio. You asked me earlier about like kind of living in my own personal life, some of the, the the healthful aspects of bushcraft. So I do a lot of low intensity cardio, spend like an hour and a half, a few times a week on the treadmill. Um, and uh, it's just a perfect opportunity to digest some, um, you know, some positive information. Hmm. That's really cool. So like low intensity cardio, you mean like you're walking or you're just kind of jogging or? Yeah. So it's zone two training. Um, it's a specific heart rate. It's 128 BPM kind of peg my heart rate there. So it's the, the pitch of the treadmill is about 12, the miles per hour is about 3.2. Um, and you know, I wear a chest strap heart rate monitor and just kind of peg my heart rate at 128. So, um, if you wanted to know more information about zone two training, I would uh, recommend looking into Peter Atia. He's actually in San Diego. He's a MD. His whole slant is around like human longevity and like uh, quality of life, extending not necessarily quantity of life, but extending quality of life. Um, he's got a medical practice in San Diego, Peter Atia. He's He's great. So much information, but zone two and zone five training, heart rate variability uh, kind of makes up like the bulk of the exercise that I do. Huh. That's awesome. I will check that out. Sounds like he might be a good interview too, if he's local. Yeah. Um, well, that concludes kind of the lightning round part of this discussion. And, and I know that we're, we're running up on the clock here, but I just wanted to ask you, so what is next for Boochcraft? Yeah. Next for Boochcraft is, you know, going to be more of the same for a bit, you know, um, uh, rebuilding the uh, the events program that I talked about earlier. So we've got probably seven or eight open roles to fill uh, between, you know, 10, 11 states and kind of rebuilding that events program uh, so that we can come into 2023 in a big way. Uh, and then we've got some uh, big innovation, you know, coming down the pipe. We've got uh, Cherry Limeade coming out next year, which is, you know, a, a fan favorite already. And we just launched it. Um, and, you know, you could be looking into late 23, early 24 for some other innovation from us as well. Very cool. Well, now that you say that, okay, I do have one more question. How do you come up with the flavors? Uh, there's a lot of different processes by way we do that. Um, so it could just be, you know, internally sourced. It could be something that the R and D department is interested in looking at. Uh, it could be something that the marketing team feels like is, you know, kind of an upcoming trend. Uh, and so basically we've got a stage gate process whereby, you know, we feed a lot of different, uh, flavor combinations through an internal panel. Uh, and then there's a criteria by which they pass that internal panel. Uh, if they make it past the internal panel, then they go to our tap rooms. Uh, and then we test them for, I think it's 60 days at the tap rooms. Uh, and so then they kind of move through different gates um, along the way. So there's a five or six gate process that, you know, I just kind of walked you through the kind of the first two. Okay. Well, I just want to volunteer myself as taste tester anytime you need, but um, Todd, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for sharing your story. And yeah, I wish you a really happy 2023. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Todd for joining me and thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.